We know that all things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then the great 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not with him surely give us all things? Who should bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, so let's stop, say it again, neither death nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I don't think there is anything in human language that surpasses the greatness of the realities of Romans 8. The God of Romans 8, the Christ of Romans 8, the cross of Romans 8, the faith of Romans 8, the hope of Romans 8, the love of God in Romans 8 are immeasurably precious beyond words. There's a connection between the greatness, even the greatness and the beauty of the logic that Tom referred to, and my life with Daniel Fuller. There's a connection. 55 years I can still feel the spell that I came under in the fall of 68, walking into hermeneutics. I came under a spell. Most of my fellow students did not fall under that spell. Everybody knows that. Just a little handful of us did. We came under the spell. We know, we know they weren't under the spell because he offered a seminar at his house. And only six of us signed up. <laughs> Suffice it to say, Dr. Fuller was not spellbinding. Sometimes in an almost painful sense, he was bumbling. 
there were students who had, would have said, had they known their Bibles well enough, <coughs> his letters were weighty and strong. This is 2 Corinthians 10. His letters were weighty and strong, but his bodily presence was weak and his speech of no account. They would have said that of Dan Fuller. Many said it. And there were some who felt a spell. It was cast over us by this weak, bumbling, incomparable teacher. I recall one day in Galatians, he comes into class like this, his arms just full of books and papers like it just blew up. He looks frazzled. You know, he was, he was both dean and hermeneutics professor in those days when I was there. He was no doubt overworked. He flopped everything down, stood between two overhead projectors, one for diagramming and one for arcing. And in a helpless look said, somebody asked me a question so we could start. Some students roll their eyes. Me? I felt like I had been catapulted into academic heaven. It, has though, it was as though I'd been waiting all my life for someone who would show me that asking questions is the key to understanding and then would have the humility to make himself vulnerable to people 20 years younger than he. This is heaven. I took a class from Leon Morris. Now, Leon Morris is from Australia, highly esteemed scholar globally, came to do a, a special course at Fuller while I was there. I walk into his class. He's on the cross, and he'd just written a book on the cross, and, and he started to lecture. And a couple of days in, I raised my hand because I didn't understand something he was saying. I asked him. He turned red. And by the terseness of his answer, clearly communicated, you don't ask questions during the lecture of a professor. I dropped the class because I had come under a spell of what great teaching was. What was it? What was the spell? Here's part of it. You know, with spells, you can't put them into words, but you try. It was the combination of intense, rigorous, detailed, meticulous observation of words and phrases and clauses and sentences together with a comprehensive, coherent vision of everything that exists. It was the excitement of the discovery by breaking things into their parts mingled with the greater excitement of seeing them come together in a beautiful, all-encompassing reality. Now, I might have expected to have a professor with exegetical eyes like a microscope 
the seas in Romans 8, 100 pieces, exquisite pieces. I might have expected that exegetical microscope. And I might have expected a theological professor with eyes like a telescope who could see the panorama of all reality. And I did not expect to find them in one person. The microscope and the telescope, the meticulous exegete and the comprehensive theologian, a hundred pieces of Romans 8, and the breathtaking beauty of the unified whole. That almost never happens. It's either the one or the other. It happened. And I came under the spell. I've been under it for 55 years. Don't ever expect to leave it, ever. I think there might be one other aspect to it. You've, you've heard it, especially in Tom's words, but I'll just say it again. The other, another aspect of the spell, just trying to get at what was it that made me love this man? I took, I took eight classes. If he'd offered eight more, I would have taken eight more. What was it that bound me to this way It was the use, in part, of homespun, childish illustrations for glorious truth that somehow did not trivialize the glory. How can that happen, right? I mean, Tom used the illustration, so I'll go back to that one. So you all know that Psalm 23.6 is the precursor of Romans 8.28. Right? Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And, and he corrected us and says, actually, it's radaf in Hebrew, pursue or persecute. That's even better. And it's like a highway patrolman, red lights flashing or blue lights, whatever they are now, tracking you down. Can I see your license, son? John Piper. Just to let you know you've been adopted into the family of God. And you will inherit everything. See you later. Why didn't I roll my eyes at that and say, that's goofy. That's trivial. That's mundane. Why did, why for 55 years have I been trying to climb up into the glory of an omnipotent God with infinite mercy and all wisdom tracking me down to do me good forever? Why did I respond like that and build my whole life on it? It's all I've been talking about for 55 years. And I don't know the answer to that. Grace was a gift. So I came under a spell 
The house he built for me in the spring of 1970 in the class Romans 1 to 8. We arced all of Romans 1 to 8. I still have them. If you unfold it, it's about 15 feet across. All taped together. That house that he built for me of, of Romans 1 to 8 is the house I live in. Hope to always live in. It is an inexhaustible house. It's, it's, I think Romans 8.32 is, is the greatest verse in the Bible. <laughs> there are competitors. I think it was the fulcrum, I'll explain the word in a minute, of his theology and life. I think it's the greatest verse, or at least a good competitor, because no other verse in the Bible is as clear in putting together the infinite depth of the foundation of our salvation with the infinite height of its blessings and happiness. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him give us all things, all things, all things? That, that's big. That's inexhaustible. All things. Not spare your son spitting, slapping, mocking, nails, Death, horror, abandonment. It's all there. <laughs> Dr. Fuller and the Apostle Paul loved the great gospel a fortiori. They did. Everything hangs on the great a fortiori. An argument from the stronger to the weaker, the greater to the lesser. If God has done the hardest thing to make us happy forever, will he not easily do the rest to make us happy forever? Yes, he will. <coughs> Paul, Romans 5, 9 used it this way, since we have now been justified by his blood. Now that's impossible. Ungodly people cannot stand just before God. <laughs> yes, they can. And he did it. Since we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. How easy is it for God, having viewed us as perfect in Christ, how easy is it to save those people from his wrath? It's easy. That's a fortiori in his gospel. He did it again. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, by the death of his son, 
that's just not going to happen. Enemies of God should go to hell. They should. It's right, it's just. And reconcile? If while we were enemies, we were enemies, you were enemy. <clears throat> and then became reconciled. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. How easy for God, having reconciled an enemy to himself into friendship and family by the cost of the son's blood, how easy to save us forever. And then the great 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Not spare. I preached on this verse many times and I have to, I have to help people because people don't stop. They don't stop. They just keep going. Unpack not spare. Help me with not spare. An infinitely holy God, not spare. Help me with that, people. Spitting, mocking, torture, death. If he did that to make us happy forever in him, I wasn't going to use it, but since you used it, Tom, he drew it on the board, right? He, the mountain, like this. Now, the mountain is the mountain of propitiation. What has to be gotten over is the wrath of God. He gets over this mountain, this little locomotive going up the mountain. Impossible mountain to get over. And he doesn't spare his son to get us over the mountain. And then he said, Jehovah, I'll to heaven after that. It's just downhill. That's a fortiori. And you wonder, why, why didn't I say, that's goofy? That's weird. That's mundane. That's trivializing. Instead of worshiping. I came out of Fuller's classes worshiping. Before my wife arrived, we got married in the Christmas 68. I arrived here in September 68. So I got these three months of crazy longing for my wife, my girlfriend. And I'm going into his class. And I would go home and I would put my elbows on the table and I would weep. I would weep. For what I was undoing in my brain and seeing. I'm almost done. This is the, this is the uh, crowning book, Unity of the Bible, A Life. And it is no accident that smack dab in the middle, page 218, is Romans 8.32. It's the fulcrum. It's the fulcrum. This. God didn't spare so that we would be happy forever. Very rarely did Dan Fuller retreat to the inadequacy of human language 
for glories in the Bible, but sometimes he did, as he did at Romans 8.32. Words, I'm reading at the bottom here, words become inadequate as Paul describes these riches. The riches of the all things of Romans 8.32. And then he unpacks it with several other verses, especially Ephesians 2.7, where we've been made alive in Christ, been raised with Christ, that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It will take, he pointed out, eternal ages for the infinite God to exhaust the riches of his kindness to us. What was the unity of the Bible? Can you put it in a sentence? Yes, you can. It's on page 454. The one thing that God is doing in all of redemptive history is to show forth his mercy in such a way that the greatest number of people will be throughout all eternity, will, will throughout all eternity delight in him with all their heart, strength, and mind. God revealing his mercy, we delighting in that mercy so that he gets the glory, we get the joy. And some of us came under the spell of that and we've been trying to talk about it all over the world for 55 years. Well, now he's not waiting for that anymore. That delight is Daniel Fuller's portion now. Now, no embattlement, no bumbling. <laughs> overflowing, overflowing delight. So free from all the sorrows, obstacles he had to overcome. And it will be ours. I don't know you. I don't know you. I do not know if you are in Christ. But I know if he were here, he would say, John, let the last word be Revelation 22, 17. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Father, we're going to sing... I want you to get the glory. It's going to sing about what Dan Fuller's life was. To you be all the glory. We, we who loved him, we who learned from him, we who, came, we who came under his spell are so thankful for his life. Thankful to be a part of this moment in his memory. Come and help us to follow him and you, I pray in Jesus' name.